We've heard read to us today the four gospel accounts of that first Easter Sunday morning. The morning when mourners were amazed that not only was the grave unoccupied by a corpse, but instead with angelic appearances and strange circumstances, one overwhelming line emerges. Jesus is alive. Biblical historians account that the oldest part of the New Testament is found in 1 Corinthians 15. The lines of a poem, or very likely an early Christian hymn, that Paul, a Jewish convert of Jesus, quotes. It says this. What I received I pass on to you as of first importance. I won't try and sing it, it'll sound awful. <laughs> that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. And then Paul adds, and last of all, he appeared to me. The accounts from those five ancient manuscripts Matthew, Mark, Luke, John and 1 Corinthians major on one thing above all else. The dead Jesus appeared to people. The differing accounts seem different, don't they? As we've heard them read to us this morning, there's, there's peculiarities in each of them. There's four witnesses tell the same story from different angles. Recently in our church building, we've had our CCTV upgraded and, uh, and there was a bit of nonsense outside of the building the other day. And we could see from very different angles, the same thing happening. The gospel account is doing exactly the same, covering the same area from different angles. And today they form something incredible, don't they? At least five women make their way to the tomb of Jesus, where his body had been laid following his crucifixion on Friday. A large stone had been placed to secure the tomb, as well as a detachment of professional Roman soldiers to ensure that body snatchers weren't sniffing around. On that Sunday morning, those women find that that stone had been removed and the body was missing. The gospel tells us that two angels were present, messengers from God declaring that Jesus of Nazareth was dead indeed, but isn't any longer. Mary Magdalene, one of the women from whom Jesus had previously utterly transformed from demonic oppression to blistering freedom, well, she was there and she first left the tomb on discovering its emptiness and ran to find Peter and John. The other women, encountered the angels and left the tomb to tell the other disciples. Maybe, who knows, staying in Bethany. They may have even stopped on the way to tell those two people on the road to Emmaus what had happened. Meanwhile, the Gospels tell us that Peter, John and Mary raced back to the tomb. They saw the grave clothes, which were the most expensive part of any tomb. And, uh, and if anything was going to be stolen, it would be them well, the grave clothes were left folded in place. The men saw and left. The Gospels tell us that Mary stayed weeping. She looked in, saw angels, looked out and saw the Saviour. 
Mary went to tell Peter and John and Jesus appeared to the other women on their way to Bethany. These, these individuals, these encounters, these accounts bring together the incredible eyewitness testimonies of those present that Jesus is alive. Cornell University Law School in the United States, writing an article on a, a case called the Flowers case, said this, that eyewitness testimony is a powerful tool that has the potential to make or break a case. Eyewitness testimony is really important. It used to be the highest standard of evidence possible. But over recent decades, as other forms of evidence have been developed and technology advanced, we know that perceived biases can affect an eyewitness testimony. That if the eyewitness wants something to be true, that can affect what they claim they had seen. Now, the gospel accounts of Easter Sunday are absolutely open to that charge. Uh, because no one who was close to him wanted Jesus to die. A week earlier, his followers thought that they were about to overthrow the Roman Empire, such as their hope in him. No one around him wanted him dead. But when he did die, no one, absolutely no one, thought he was going to come back from it. I mean, who does that? No one. So when you're dead, you're dead. There was no bias here. What these people saw, they saw. What makes the witnesses of these ancient documents all the more incredible was that they were largely based on the evidence of women. At that time of these events, society was overwhelmingly patriarchal, sexist and misogynist. So much so that the, in, in the evidence of a woman in a criminal trial was inadmissible, which means that it just didn't count at all. Not at all. It didn't matter what a woman said, because her word mattered not. Which is why these accounts are all the more extraordinary, because they place incredible weight on the testimony of these grieving women. Why? Well, because the voice of a woman, a voice of women, really do matter. And on that day, Jesus was proving that to be the case. Because Jesus is alive. And immediately, he puts his priorities in place. The voice of everyone matters, of course, but the voice of women, they matter. Dorothy Sayers says that perhaps it is no wonder that women were first at the cradle and last at the cross. They had never known a man like this man. There never has been another. A prophet and teacher who never nagged them, never flattered or coaxed or patronised, who never made sick jokes about women, who rebuked without querulousness and praised without condescension, who took women's questions and arguments seriously, who never mapped out a certain sphere for women, who never urged them to be feminine or jeered at them for being female, who had no axe to grind and no uneasy male dignity to defend, who took women as he found them and was completely unself-conscious. There is no act, no sermon, no parable in the whole gospel that borrows its points of pungency from female perversity. Nobody could get from the words and deeds of Jesus that there was anything funny 
or inferior about women. You see, the Easter account is one of immense transformation, isn't it? Both of events and people. For instance, he did not stop the crucifixion. Instead, he rose from the dead. There were witnesses to his miracle. Jesus is alive. And these witnesses were transformed. They became almost immediately from witnesses alone to proclaimers of his person. Each of the Gospels tell us. Matthew says, do not be afraid, go and tell. In Mark, Jesus is recorded as saying, go into all the world and preach the Gospel to all creation. Luke records that you are witnesses of these things and the Apostle John has Jesus saying, do not hold on to me, instead go and tell. Why? Because throughout the Gospels, you see time and time again, Jesus almost reticent, almost bashful whenever a miracle is performed. Often he tells people, do not say a thing about this. But it seems on Easter Sunday, the gloves are off. Tell everyone. Why? Well, because the resurrection of Jesus is the miracle upon which everything else is built. That if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, said the Apostle Paul, then the whole Christian thing is absolute nonsense. Futile, and everyone associated with it is to be pitied more than anyone else. But these witnesses became proclaimers of a living person because Jesus of Nazareth is alive. It seems ridiculous, of course, dead people don't come back from the dead. And in the second part of his life of Jesus and the emergence of the gospel, in the book of Acts, in the first chapter in verse three, the, uh, Luke tells us that Jesus gave, quote, many convincing proofs that he was alive. I love that, don't you? I need that. Don't you? And now, some 2,000 years later, Christians still proclaim that Jesus is alive. In fact, the entire church age is built on these moments that we've read this morning. Eyewitnesses of his miracle, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, and proclaimers of his person, a real person, is really alive. And so when Paul says some 30, 40 years later, when he preaches in Athens, he told the crowd that God was one day going to judge the whole world by a guy, a man who he had appointed as judge, and he proved his worth by raising him from the dead. Christians didn't go into hostile, culturally uh, insecure environments, culturally different environments, and proclaimed a spiritual resurrection. No, they proclaimed a literal, actual, real resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Paul tells us too that Jesus appeared to James, his half-brother, the son of Mary and Joseph, one of the, who became one of the significant leaders of the Jerusalem church and a writer of the part of the New Testament. I wonder what it would take to convince you that your brother is the son of God. I love my brother dearly, but it would take uh, a heck of convincing for, for me to believe that he was the son of God. So imagine how sceptical James was hearing his brother declare him to be God the son. What would convince James? 
maybe seeing his half-brother rise from the dead. That transformed James. The entire 2,000-year history of the church is built on the testimony and proclamation of these moments. In fact, many of these people who witnessed that resurrection morning were martyred for their faith. They could have denied it. They could have said something different. They could have been spared by simply denying Jesus, but they didn't. Many went to their deaths believing, proclaiming Jesus. Lots of people die for lots of ridiculous things, but very few people would die for a known lie. These people died claiming that they had seen the resurrected Jesus. Wow. These people aren't lying. These people are saying that Jesus is alive. So what about us some 2,000 years later in in an Easter with restrictions? I don't know about you, but I count myself on the side of those early witnesses. Not because I was there, of course I wasn't, but in a unique way, a unique personal way. I know that Jesus is alive too. I was in my late teens when I personally consciously, rationally, and deliberately place my trust in Jesus. I believed that he, I believed that he had died for my sins, that he rose again, and was inviting me to know him personally. There may not have been someone physically standing in front of me, but I knew that I knew that I knew that those events of Good Friday and Easter Sunday was being applied to me personally. The God's loving tracking system had locked onto the sort of target of my heart and had broken me with kindness and acceptance and love. I knew he was alive. And despite the fact that I had resisted for a number of years, the growing reality of it, I could no longer. God the Holy Spirit made him alive in me. And many of you know what I'm talking about. This undeniable reality that Jesus, he's alive. And since that moment, with its tears of sorrow and joy, sorrow, that it was my sin, my rebelliousness, my lawlessness, my rubbish, that he died to forgive. And joy, that it was my sin, my lawlessness, my rebelliousness, my rubbish, that he died to forgive. Since that moment, there have been many convincing proofs, as Luke tells us, that Jesus is alive. And the Bible tells us that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead invades the willing person who says yes to Jesus, so that God then makes his home with us, making us witnesses of his miracle and us proclaimers of his person, for Jesus is alive. Brennan Manon says, for me, The most radical demand of the Christian faith lies in summoning the courage to say yes to the present risenness of Jesus. I love that. Because I'm saying all of this to you today to provoke you to that courage, to say yes 
to the present risenness of Jesus. Because, my friends, if he is alive, then everything can change. And everything about your life can change. That it isn't enough to carry on as we are. However noble or spiritual or triumphant you are, or however miserable or lonely or desperate you are, if Jesus is alive in this present moment, then everything can change. And to stay the same is utterly absurd. For if Jesus rose from the dead, then the Bible is true. Then death isn't the end. That what Jesus says counts. And that God is intimately and overwhelmingly interested, committed, dedicated to you and to me. Tom Wright says that Jesus's resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonise earth with the life of heaven. How, my friends, how? Well, by being witnesses to his miracle and proclaimers of his person by the power of the Holy Spirit right now. So I ask you, when was the last time you told someone who wasn't a Christ follower that Jesus is alive? When? Because from these gospel accounts, we see that witnesses soon became proclaimers. Not because it was a nice idea or that it would be a good way of start starting some kind of club, I don't know, let's call it the church. But rather because it was the most natural first command from the loving risen king to loved risen people. See and tell. Or in other words, pass it on. Is Jesus alive? Yes. Then pass it on. In 2013, the Washington Post published a story about a group of 10 school friends who, some 23 years earlier, or later rather, were still playing the same game of tag. You know the game. You know, like uh, you tag someone and they, then they become it. They have to find someone else, tag them, and then they're it, and so on and so on. For 23 years, during the month of February only, these 10 blokes for it had to be blokes, didn't it, played this game. It meant for some that they had to travel by air or road to find someone else. The tagging happened at births of children's, at uh, when someone would rock up and tag them, at a wedding, at a funeral even, where your it was mentioned. And so aeroplane journeys or uh, the daring exploits had to be undertaken to either tag someone or avoid being tagged. These 10 players, these friends from school for 23 years have been committed to passing it on. I wonder, my friends, for witnesses to the most incredible reality in human history, the resurrection of Jesus. I wonder if the commitment, the audacity, the outrageousness and perseverance to pass it on, well, surely to goodness, it can't be less than 10 guys playing tag, can it? I reckon that for many of us, ashamedly, it is. But the resurrection of Jesus and its account isn't about shame. It's about life right now. It's about making the reality of the risen King alive in us, right now because he's alive and so today i call on that courage in you i call it out of you 
Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead? Do you know it to be true? And if the answer is yes for the very first time, then pray with me now. Pray, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe that you died for me. Forgive me, change me, transform me. Heal me, save me. You can pray that right now. And if it's yes for the thousandth, the ten thousandth, the millionth time in your lives, then I wonder today, my friends, would you please pass it on? Pass it on. When was the last time you told someone, Jesus is alive? Thank God that those early disciples did. And that someone passed it on. And that game of tag has been happening for 2,000 years, for it has reached the ears of me some 20 years ago and set me free because Jesus is alive. Do not let it stop with you, my friends. Pass it on. The Apostle Paul wrote to that church in Corinth and said these words, if Christ wasn't raised, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark, as lost as ever. It's even worse for those who died hoping in Christ and resurrection because they're already in their graves. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. But the truth is, that Christ has been raised up. The first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. Witnesses to his miracle became proclaimers of his person. Jesus is alive. Pass it on. Today, my friends, may the risen King burst again into our realities, into our lives with the same mixture of of wonder and surprise and joy and a pretty big dose of nervousness and of fear even that the impossible has come true. May his words settle our souls, his presence thrill our hearts, his direction quicken our minds and his love compel us to action to proclaim that Jesus is alive. Now quick, Pass it on.